Noah Behrman. And I'm Jen Allen, and this is 149 Sessions. On this episode, we have a conversation with pianist-composer Sumi Tanoka. Enjoy! to the listeners that uh, um, this is interesting in that Sumi and I have known each other for uh, quite some time. I actually should have done the math. 26 years, 25, 26 years. (laughs) Um, Whereas uh, Sumi and Jen, though they have much in common, are just now meeting. So uh, we've got lots of layers of community, lots of folks in common. um, and, uh, And we're delighted to have you here and we'll have to be selective in figuring out what we talk about because there's so much um uh do you do you have anything that's particularly um resonant right at this moment um like how are you feeling today you know i am taking it day to day these days and uh today is a good day i'm talking to you <laughs> <laughs> and it's also the sun's outside and it's shining and the sky's clear. I always try to tap into, you know, the positive and beautiful things that I can see around me. It helps just like stay in the moment. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, and actually one of the things I knew I wanted to ask you about coming in, which this segues to, is that... Um, <clears throat> For someone who is as uh, respected as you are in the jazz scene, um, you've spent a lot of your career living outside of well, outside of New York, and in some at some points um, outside of the New York uh, area. And I'm wondering, I guess both sort of on a on a holistic level and in terms of your artistic practice, how place how your how your physical location uh, if i suppose or how it impacts your your work i mean uh you spent oh, quite a while in woodstock new york and i know that when you were out in seattle um the uh the nature there was a big part of your um your life and your your uh wellness and i'm I'm wondering if or how that works its way into your into your work. Well, that's a good question. I mean, environment is really important, and community is so important to any artist. You know, um, I'm originally from Philadelphia and currently living in Philadelphia, uh, returning to Philadelphia after having not lived here for ooh, like a long time, over 30 years, <laughs> and. I actually, if I try to figure it out, the number would probably scare me. But I'm back <laughs> in my hometown, which is kind of significant at this stage of my life. Um, and Philadelphia is a place that is rich in jazz history and culture and musicians. I mean, the amount of musicians mm-hmm. here and the talent. And there's something about most cities carry some type of energy and pulse that's very personal to the time and place that it is in. And um, so Philadelphia kind of sits between New York and Baltimore and DC, and it's one of those small East Coast cities that has, just permeates like, 
I don't know. I don't even know what it is. There's something in the, the water or something. But the amount of musicians that come out of here is pretty striking. And it feels really good to be back because I have a lot of context here in terms of my own personal history. This is where I grew up. This is where I learned how to play. You know, and I was, I'm old enough to have caught like the, the tail end of the jazz renaissance on 52nd Street, for instance, when that was really thriving. I, th I saw Thelonious mm -hmm. Monk there when I, at the Aqua Lounge, which was one of the clubs that a lot of, you know, live at the Aqua Lounge um, recordings came from. And, um, <clears throat> but in general, in terms of, of my location in regards to my life, it's been Moving to Woodstock wasn't completely by choice, you know, because it was somewhat of a compromise because my husband at the time really wanted to live in the country and raise our children there. And I also, I liked the idea, but it scared me because I was going to be so far away logistically from New York. And I was really mm -hmm. just starting to come on in New York at that time. So um, it wasn't you know, it was a bit of a compromise, but I stayed active the whole time I lived there, and it was a beautiful place to live. I'm, I mean, it was very beautiful. Jack DeJanette mm -hmm. and, and uh, Dave Holland and uh, Jimmy Cobb were living there, and I mean, there were a lot mm -hmm. of musicians that were there in that area, so it was, it was just much more spaced out and much more serene, of course, because Woodstock is mm -hmm. just this incredibly beautiful, rich, you know, rural countryside place that that is accessible to New York. It's doable, you know. But at the time, my career wasn't exactly where I wanted to be, to be living in a place like that and thinking that it was going to work out for me. I was really worried, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But I was also a mother. And so um, having to navigate, I guess, phases in one's life where your your roles kind of like coexist in a way. And then you're having to struggle with your community your environment a struggle in the sense of just having to make it work you know how are you going to make it work and I can say that I was active working with John Blake at the time and so he would take me out and I felt like a musician because I'd be on the road some of that time but I kind of took a back seat to my own personal you know path as far as like my own trio or my own stuff to some extent and so that was you know it was a compromise um <clears throat> moving to Seattle was really the result of, well, a couple of things. My mother grew up on Bainbridge Island, so I did have some ancestral ties to that area. And um, I had been there to visit. I'd been there to play. And I guess coming out of a, I was in a marriage for 20-something years and went through a really brutal divorce. And at the time was... I think part of the reason why I left was just to kind of be in an environment where I wasn't constantly reminded of my past. So I wanted something mm -hmm. completely new and fresh. And it wasn't like I totally thought it out, you know, but there was, some, and I also had a friend from first grade who is somewhat of a, of a I don't want to call her a celebrity in Seattle, but she kind of is because she's, um, she has an organization which she started called the Low Income Housing Institute, and she has done more for low-income people and all kinds of sort of people outside the strata of, you know, I mean, all types of people that are fall under the um, low-income bracket. Um, mm -hmm. And so for housing, 
she's just done a phenomenal job of uh, creating beautiful housing for people uh, with low income and um, building like uh, tiny house villages and also really great um, uh, housing that is just anyone would want to live there, you know, really beautiful places. I didn't move into one of her places, but she offered me um, a place to live for a year, which belonged to her mother. She needed someone to stay there for, you know, for a while because her mother had gotten ill. And she invited me to come and gave me, you know, it was inviting me to come to live in Seattle with the, the you know, you just check it out. You can stay here for a year. And I thought to myself, geez, how often in life does that happen that, you know, right. that you can, and then that, and, and it actually corresponded sort of with syn synchronicity in that at the same time I received uh, the Jazz Composers Orchestra intensive um, opportunity, which uh, was inviting me to um, basically write an orchestral work, which was my first or orchestral work for the American Composers Orchestra. And that was through a special grant called the Jazz Composers Orchestra Intensive, the JCOI. So that all came at the same time. So now I had the time and the space and something to focus a lot of my, you know, and life can be like that sometimes. Sometimes you don't plan everything out, but once you kind of choose a direction, things can kind of appear or, you know, and it's not like I saw that all at once, but it just happened. So that's one thing about living that is can be kind of magical sometimes. So I, I, that might be a long-winded answer to your question. I mean... No, that's great. Well, so I guess that let, let's... Uh maybe unpack the Seattle part just in the sense of, did you feel like um, being there and being near Bainbridge Island, being, being in that um, geographic environment impacted that orchestral work that you created or beyond, or could you have been like, um, you know, two blocks from a strip mall in Dayton, Ohio. <laughs> Sorry if anyone from Dayton, Ohio is listening to this. And, and that would have been an, an identical experience because all you just needed was the, the hours in the day to sit down and write. Well, um, I was definitely glad I was in Seattle. They have the, you know, UW was there and they had a great music library. So I hung out in the music library at UW and I was checking out a lot of scores. I'm not sure that they have a great music library in Ohio, but they probably do somewhere. But um and I did feel, I guess, a sort of, a, you know, my mother grew up in that area. So, like, just the discovery of what it was like to be in the Pacific Northwest and mm -hmm. was kind of, um, it was exciting in a way because I just, it, it brought me closer to my mother in this very visceral way because this is where she actually grew up. And and then there's this place itself. I mean, Seattle has to be the, one of the most beautiful cities I've ever lived in. You know, there's the mountains and the water and, you know, there's the culture, which is an interesting culture. It's very different. The West Coast is so different than the East Coast. Um, I actually think it's actually good for people to change up their environments, to be in different places. I think you can mm -hmm. learn a lot and... I chose Seattle because my, you know, my friend also invited me there, and I did have some, some, something to grab a hold of as far as just feeling more grounded. Um, but mm -hmm. it's, I do think it's a good thing to be, um, to move around a little bit in the sense of shaking it up a bit. And I was 
for me, it was kind of essential. I didn't even see that it was also partially because I was recovering and recuperating from this time in my life where I just was kind of re- having to reinvent myself in a way. Um, uh-huh. <clears throat> I found it a, a big adjustment to live in a city where they didn't have as many black people I was used to being with. And I had never even thought about that because I'd always taken it for granted. And then living into a, living in a place where you're wondering where everybody is, you know, like, where are they? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, that was like, I didn't quite, that, that was a big adjustment. And I didn't see that coming. I didn't really think about it when I left. But, and then when I, you know, I, it's a big part of me that, 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 that part of, you know, being African American, as well as Asian American, I, a lot of that is just an internal experience and and so being in an environment where you're not seeing as many african americans was definitely um a shift you know for me and even in terms of the music i felt it in the music as well that there was something Mm -hmm. that i was used to that was very very different there Mm -hmm. you know that that i wasn't that wasn't there do you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. like and so that was also like ooh. Like, I'm not sure how, how good it's going to be for me to stay here too long. And I remember when I first landed in Seattle, um, one of the sort of the most, I guess, central figures to the jazz scene there said to me, um, I don't know if I should mention his name right now, Noah. <laughs> should I? Or you don't should have to. That's up to you. I don't know. But he, I, I don't know what you're yeah, about to right. say, so I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to say anything She's bad. Drop a bomb. No, it's not a bomb, really. It was it was John Gilbreth. You know, he said to me, "What are okay. you going to do here?" And I was thinking, like, that's not exactly a welcoming comment. You know, it's like, what what, what do you mean? What am I going to do? But now I I kind of get it because you know, the, in a way, it's very removed from just the essential scene. You know, which is really on the East Coast and to a large extent. And New York, I mean, New York is definitely the, the core, the, you know, hub of a lot of what's happening, you know, happening, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, <clears throat> anyway, I did do a lot, though. I wrote a lot. I, I composed a lot. I got a lot of work done, big work, like work I would maybe wouldn't have done if I had not left, you know, like, and also... I, for instance, just to give you an example, I was invited by the string orchestra, and they're really quirky, and it's probably because it's Seattle, you know, that they had this group to begin with, which was a string orchestra featuring this young guitarist. Oh, God, I wish I could remember his name. Really talented young jazz guitarist, as well as a harpist in the group. So there were, you know, it was electric guitar, jazz guitar, harp and string players and they were all interested in improv- improvising and they they asked me to write a work for them and I did when I you know and they performed it and um I actually have a, a and it was one of the most experimental I don't even know if you'd I'd call it successful piece but it was really experimental and I felt free to really explore it, some things that you know um helped me with my next orchestral major orchestral piece you know so that's kind of uh, a plus uh, in a way in, to, in being in a place like Seattle. And, I, and there's also a certain amount of openness to experimentation and um, just going for it. You know what I mean? And people felt freer mm-hmm. there, I think, to um, maybe not as in the 
as as in as much of a scrutinizing eye, you know, in a way that you're far removed right. enough so that you can kind of like try things that maybe you might be um, not as free to try or thinking it might be a little bit more difficult in certain places. So it had an upside for sure, you know, and I stayed five years and maybe it might have been a year longer than I should have stayed in a way, but who's to say? I mean, you know, you, I, I feel like you just kind of got to go with what your gut is telling you and, um, but maybe that might have been seen as being somewhat, uh, I don't know, in the eyes of other people. It's just like, wow, you did that? Like, you, you, you moved to Seattle? Like, what? You know? So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it's interesting, I guess, to me in that uh, I, because we were in touch during that time, I was uh, aware of all of that. But if, I, if that hadn't been the case, I, I can't imagine I would have attached much uh, judgment to that other than, oh, that's cool. That's what she's doing. There must be some reason slash opportunity that's attached to that. And um, it, it, I mean, even before COVID, it, it seems like um, I, I was noticing more and more folks who might be associated with the New York jazz scene in one way or another um, living who knows where. And, you know, I, I think... I guess the 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 analogy I sometimes use is the junior high school dance, where uh, everybody I, I don't know if this resonates, but everybody all the kids there are worried that they will be judged for how they dance, but in fact everybody is so worried about how <laughs> their dancing will be perceived that they're not really paying that close attention anybody to the else. nuances of of anybody else's uh, moves. I also, I also wonder if it has anything, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but um, if it has anything to do, you, you <coughs> said this before, you used the word compromise, and I, I really related <laughs> to a lot of stuff you're saying, because I'm a mom, I'm a musician, and recently divorced, and like just a lot of different things and life changes, and I wonder, like, I, I don't really know, but sometimes... I think, I don't even know if I want to say this because it's such a generalization, but I've met a lot of women who we put a lot of extra pressure on ourselves when that happens, like when we have children, that the career and all this thing, this thing called balance, which I think is a really hard thing to attain, happens. And so the thought that, hey, I'm moving and other people are going to think that this is like, an out thing, but like really, I don't, I don't I'm not wording this very well. Um, I, I just think that, I, I mean, for me, I, I think a lot about how the things I do are perceived and maybe it has nothing to do with all those things, but somehow it seems very connected <laughs> to me. Um, and uh, I don't know, but I think, no, you're totally correct, but I, I maybe there's something else there. You can tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> Well, I do think there's an aspect of being a, someone who's in, in the public eye as opposed to not being, you know what I mean? And also mm-hmm. just being a musician and having a certain amount of pressure on you in terms of like where it's happening or where it's not right. happening or being right. in it or being out of it or any, you know, all those. And it's a lot of that. It's probably internal dialogue, but it's definitely influenced by some real, you know, kinds of issues 
in terms of things sure. that you have to consider as far as what kind of life you want to live and who you want to interact with and where you want your community to be and what your community is and all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, you know, the community is so much smaller because we have this, you know, we have the technology which can allow us to talk to the other side of the world and see each other on Zoom. And, it, you know, it, the only difference is the amount of, you know, what time it is on the clock, you know. So, so in a way, some of those things don't even matter quite as much. I mean, it's interesting how our world has shifted as a result of the kinds of technology that we do have, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but I do understand exactly what you mean, and I do think it is part of, I mean, that's the thing we have to deal with just being a jazz musician, you know, feeling self-conscious. Mm -hmm. Oh, what are they going to think about? Oh, I just, I blew that. Or, oh, I just mm -hmm. turned the beat around, or I just, like, that's not the mo note I meant to play. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Or such and such is out in the audience. Oh my God, you know, those kinds of things. You can't help it because you're like being, you are being um, listened to or viewed or, you know, there's this aspect of what you do that has to go out and meet the public in a, in a certain kind of way. Mm -hmm. We play music for other people. We don't just do it for ourselves. We play music to to play in, in a public setting. To, you know what I mean? So... Yeah. There is that aspect of ego and I think of feeling vulnerable and sensitive. And I also think as women, we, that's even maybe a little bit more so in certain types of ways, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, I completely identify with what you just said. It's not, I, I think you said it well, Jen. Mm. Well, I, I, think I, so I was just thinking, even as you're saying that, like, like I was t um, talking to uh, a woman who has two young children and and she's like, I don't think I've practiced since my first child was born, like really practiced. And I was like, Ugh, I know that feeling, you know, like I know that just like this dance of like making choices and like everything you were talking about was making choices. And this isn't unique to women. Um, I just think there's like this somewhat added like <laughs> you're making a decision and all of a sudden as a musician, it just, or any career person, like you have to take on this other thing. And it's, it's always, uh, I'm just wondering how you felt. I'm, I'm kind of interested to, to just dig into how you got through those, those times. And, um, cause I'm sure there's a lot of, um, people who could really benefit from your viewpoint at this point. Well, I, I mean, your children are, but my son is now 30 years old. So, and my daughter's 28, so, you know, mm. they're grown adults now. And, mm. um, but when they were younger, I remember when they were, when, when I was, you know, mothering from, and, and having babies, so to speak, because they're two years apart. I remember changing diapers for like four years. And by the end of the four years, you're just like, you know, oh my God, can, when is this day going to like change, shift into not doing this anymore, you know? Yeah. And I also remember the feeling of, of being like so exhausted and and then worried that like how am I going to do this you know I mean I loved being a mother and I I'm really glad I had I am still a mother and I'm and I'm really glad I had kids there's no regrets whatsoever I think it's a great mm -hmm. thing to be able to do because you learn so much and it takes you outside of yourself in this really beautiful mm -hmm. way but I I do th remember thinking 
panicking after having moved to Woodstock and having such young kids, you know, like waking up one day and thinking, oh my God, I've turned into a housewife. Like <laughs> how'd that happen? Like really a panic attack. Like, like, oh, what happened? You know, and then feeling like it was so far away from me, you know, mm-hmm. and, but my then uh, now ex-husband, my now ex-husband said, and which was true, which is like, you know, it's not going to stay like this forever. You know what I mean? They're not going to be pre-toddlers forever. And, um, and, it, and it goes by so fast. That's the yeah. other thing. It just goes by so fast. And it doesn't feel like it at the time. But I remember once hiking with my kids. And I, and I saw this man. And he looked at me and, and my kids. And he just said, enjoy it while you can because it goes by so fast like a dream he says I think about my kids now and it all feels like a dream and I remember Mm -hmm. that it was like this little moment you know and it's true it does really go by fast life goes by fast Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. thank you Mm -hmm. and I I just want to clarify that uh, um, maybe this was clear but uh, um, I totally uh, resonate with i mean to what to whatever extent i can as a person who has never given birth to children um though i've certainly you're had a dad though moments when you're a dad that? yeah yeah i mean certainly there have been moments when uh i couldn't remember what it was like to practice but uh <laughs> be, because of that but um but i guess um my my junior high dance analogy was more um not so much that nobody's paying attention to anything but it's it's interesting how depending on someone's perspective um whether they view your life that's different from the kind of script for what a hip musician should be doing um is not is not i mean i i went through year it isn't necessarily what you think it will be um i know i went through years of um, feeling really self-conscious and kind of lousy about being, uh, having living in Connecticut, having the career that I did as opposed to the career that, and not that I even disliked it, but that it wasn't what my uh, teenage ambitions suggested that I should be achieving or the kind of visibility I should have, blah 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 and. Mm-hmm. And I remember this shift where I started to notice people who I looked up to or in some cases envied, like like envying me because I had a yard or because I had teaching work and, you know, sort of like, wow, you know, this is someone who's just trying to, they're trying to figure out how they can keep the hustle going for another X amount of time and... Um, how could it be that somebody is en- somebody who I envy is turning around and envying me, or even if they're not envying me, just viewing me if they're even able to pause the hustle for long enough to pay attention, um, viewing me through the lens of whatever they're struggling with, and uh, may- maybe they're looking down on me or maybe they're envying me, but their their version of my life is a largely fictionalized one based on the limited information that they have available about said life and you know so I could imagine I guess that was where I was coming from I could imagine Sumi somebody or or you Jen for that matter somebody looking at um, a musician of either of your caliber not living in New York and thinking 
oh, you know, that's kind of jive that, uh, uh, or the same person on a different day looking and saying, oh, you know, it must be that they have something cool going on. And, um, my gigs have been pretty thin the last couple of years. Wouldn't it be nice to live somewhere where life was a little more comfortable? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I don't want to talk. Did you want to, I mean, Jen, did you want to respond to that? I was just going to say that I was just going to say that, um, like I purposely chose not to go for an academic career, you know, and sometimes I regret it. Like I, I, sometimes I feel like maybe I should have taken that path because I feel like there's a cost no matter what path you take, you know. Mm-hmm. So there, it, you might be more comfortable economically as, you know, having more so-called security or, or stability in a certain, you know, logistical way as far as, like, income, steady income coming in and being able to make something of your life because you have that stability, which is important. You know, it's important to have stability, and when you're not choosing that, uh, that then you're up against sort of like, well, how are you going to make it work for you in, in terms of economic, you know, uh, survival? Survival is, is definitely something everybody has to consider in terms of just living a life, right? So, um, and I remember talking to a friend of mine who is an acad- full-time academic and he was just, and he said that you know he says everything has a cost maybe you wouldn't be mm-hmm. playing the way that you do if you you know if you were a full-time academic you know because this is someone who has to struggle just to get in the 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 time he needs to practice right so there's mm-hmm. always like a uh and i mean i don't i feel like i i don't even play the way that i want to you know because i don't feel like i've had the kind of career maybe that i i ha- would have imagined in some ways when people think of what that means to be successful as a jazz player, I'm not sure that I see myself as all of that. But I'll tell you one thing, I do feel that I've had, I've been um, consistently at it, you know, Mm -hmm. in terms of the long haul. Like I still play and practice every day. And just to still be in it, you know, engaged and, and to still be active and to still have projects and to still be, you know, learning and be teaching and to now I'm at an age where, you know, I, I'm the mentor as opposed to being the mentee. And actually I'm even in this group. I don't, I don't know if you know about M3. Do you know about that, Noah? Jin, Jin Shu, right? She got together 12 women, to do like a mutual mentorship model, which means that it's not just about, you know, the older, more mature musician talking to the younger, uh, you know, less mature musician. It's more like there's this exchange of, of being and holding one another and learning from each other because, of mm-hmm. course, all teachers learn from their students. That's mm-hmm. the way, it, you know, that there's a circle of energy, right? So, and... But in this model, it's like accepting that everyone has something to to share and give. And um, how did I get onto this? I'm sorry, I'm starting to drift. What were we talking about? Well, we were talking about uh, being a being a mentor at this point in life as as, a, as the latest phase of you just sticking with it and you know remaining in the game. Right, so right. So I mean, there's that. There's the. Um, like I tell my students that it's a lifestyle, you know, it's really about, it's not just about 
getting this to this one place where you're going to make it and there you are and you know it's just it's constantly coming at you and within the course of a life everyone has their ups and downs you know like I remember I you know we just lost Ralph Peterson for instance and I remember reading an interview where he was telling the interviewer yeah well I've been through it I've been through it all like you know I've been flavor of the month or the year you know and I think he was probably referring to having had a contract with Blue Note you know and being really making all the headlines, so to speak, in terms of like someone everyone wants to interview and being successful at the riding high on a certain level, you know. But then at, there's always ups and downs. You cannot sustain just one thread of being, you know, you know what I mean? So it's also about the dedication that it takes in terms of just the everyday and how much do you love this? Like, you know, love does definitely enter into it because, you know, some, and that I think is partially what makes people, people successful as well is just the, that, the, the, I don't know, what am I trying to say? It's the, the everyday sort of constant thing about just being devote. There's devotion. I think devotion is a part of it, you know, because no matter what happens that you, you don't quit <laughs> because there's a lot of things that can make someone quit and people do quit, you know? Yeah. I really appreciated your point of just that there are so many different kinds of paths and everybody is always looking, we're all looking to everybody else. I think, no, you were saying this too, to kind of like affirm our paths. And it's like, we, we as an artist, you, you choose your path and, and if you don't, you're not being honest to who you are as a, as a performer, as a musician, as a, just a, an artist overall. And those paths are, are so important that they're not all the same. Like, you know, right. in, in my opinion, like we all like have to make our own. So that way we're not just cookie cutters and, you know, who that, and that makes people miserable when you're doing something you think you're supposed to be doing. So, um, yeah, I like that that idea that you were talking about how you were just choosing your path and you know and like why go into academia if that's what you were you know going towards I mean that makes complete sense to me you know each well, person has to choose what is the value in their heart and, and you did that yeah but I guess you know I, I'm, I'm talking about it now though Jen even realizing that sometimes I'm wondering whether I made the right decision mm. you know and it's not mm. to say that I haven't that I haven't been within the academic structures, teaching yeah. and doing stuff. But as far as being like a full-time academic and making right. that like a career path, you know, that was something yeah. I, I knew that I didn't think was going to work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I no, I hear you. It, it, it's, and it's always laced with, you know, is this, you know, we all question our, our choices. Mm-hmm. And it's always interesting maybe to look at, well, what would have happened if, but, but then you, you live sure. with your choices, you know. And learn, hopefully. Yeah, I think, <laughs> Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. I, I feel like it, it's so easy um, to, to view the alternate paths and, uh, you know, what, what and, and what I find interesting, and this is something I've dealt with a lot in the context of physical disability, but the, the idea that the other version of reality would somehow always be better you know it's always like if i it it, i think maybe this is not true for everybody but i seem 
I, I seem to see disproportionately that when someone is saying, oh, well, I could have done this other thing, it's always a, a vision in which they get to keep all the things they like about their current life, but have it be better because there'd be this other stuff rather than a completely parallel reality where some things would be better and some things would be worse and you wouldn't even really recognize your life anymore. I feel like the, the best, I mean, because I too am getting older, I suppose we all are, uh, I find myself thinking that the best, the best case scenario in terms of choosing a path in that sense is that we have agency over it and that we acknowledge, as you so eloquently put it, Sumi, well, both of you really, uh, that there's certain compromises and sacrifices and choices and when you when you choose to put your cards on uh, I'm, I'm going to mangle the metaphor when, when you choose to uh, pursue something at the <clears throat> expense of something else you know you may have unlimited passion but you can either put your hours into this thing or that thing um, you're choosing one thing at the expense of another thing and at least if we're if we are governing those choices from a sense of our inner purpose or our even even if it's like I really just don't know and it's a coin toss but I'm going to commit to whatever path I'm going to take for as long as it makes sense to before I reevaluate or whatever it's I I, I all of that um, is I don't know virtuous to me as compared with, and not that this is unvirtuous, but just kind of going, going along for the ride without um, being conscious of those choices. You know, I, I feel like there are a lot of things, there are a lot of moments that I look back on uh, where I think, wow, you know, at this moment I could have invested, you know, not like from a stock uh, trading standpoint, but I could have invested time or attention to this thing and in hindsight I know that if I had pursued this musical relationship before this person got famous then I might have had access to things that I ultimately did not have access to but I if if my motives at the time were pure or the best I could do under the circumstances then I tend I, I, I may recognize that um, things turned out a certain way as a result, but I, I don't regret it, I suppose. Um, I mean, that's based on a very specific definition of regret, um, which for me means I knew what I needed to do and I didn't do it, or I knew that this was a bad idea, but I did it anyway. Um, as opposed to I made a choice and that led to a certain path and, you know, that's, that's the best we can do with the information we have at any given moment. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But what do I know? Maybe, <laughs> maybe in 10 years, I'll look back at this conversation and say, okay, I now realize that I was completely full of it. But so, so far I have not yet been deterred from this philosophy. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think that's what it is to live a life. You know, that's what it is to live. You live and learn and you choose and you, you sometimes you choose well and sometimes you don't and it's you make mistakes and you can learn from them hopefully you know that's that's I think that's the point and um, and I think just like in jazz you know making mistakes is important you know you got to make mistakes in order to learn how to play the right notes you got to play some wrong ones you know 
And uh, right. so it's that's just kind of accepting life, I think, on a certain kind of level as far as just what it is to to live and learn, you know? Mm-hmm. Totally. And I guess what, what I find most striking and the place where it makes me sad when I see people experiencing regret over stuff like this, um, obviously based on a different relationship with regret than what I was just describing, but there's making the bad choice and then there's making the good choice and things don't work out. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Go ahead. Oh, no, well, I mean, maybe it's kind of self-evident, but, you know, you you pursue the thing that is exactly what you wanted and it was, um, it was logical. Uh, Everything about it made sense and it just so happened that something unlucky happened as a result and, you know, you can't, we would, we would never get out of bed in the morning if we were consumed by those mm-hmm. kinds of things. And sometimes it's something really trivial and sometimes it's something terrible where you make all the right choices and things don't work out. Or conversely, you make all the wrong choices and you just get really lucky and hopefully, hopefully in those moments at least acknowledge that it was dumb luck and not, not that, you know, it was, it was dumb luck that you met the person who changed your life because you were doing something stupid that doesn't mean that you should keep doing stupid things um just that at that moment the universe smiled upon you yeah and things shift and change too like what could seem good at first could turn into something not so good Mm -hmm. you know and it's hard to really foresee everything you know you can't Mm -hmm. you know it's just like who would have thought the pandemic would come and change the world as it has, you know? And then we're all kind of still right now at this moment in the midst of being in the middle of it and not really able to to predict everything, you know? Um, This is what it is to live a life, I think. I mean, that you you can't see it all coming. and, and, And that's why, I mean, I guess something that I'm thinking a lot about these days is community, you know, what that is and how important it is and how many ways in which that can be and can exist, you know, um, and maybe looking to change the paradigm maybe of what community can do and mean, especially in terms of like when you think about humanity and the fact that the earth is experiencing what it's experiencing right now in terms of climate change and not being healthy and and then what human beings are experiencing as human beings as opposed to how you want to break down your identity or ethnicity or whatever it is just the fact that we're all struggling to um uh survive in, in, in a certain kind of way that pulls us all together as people, you know what I mean? Like this little microbe is, granted, there are definitely discrepancies in how certain folks are experiencing this thing, you know what I mean? But still, mm-hmm. there's a, there is the, we're still vulnerable to, to getting sick, you know what I mean? In the same ways because of our humanity, because of the fact that we're human. You know, and so I feel like this whole thing has kind of pulled us together on this global scale that's making us have to think of rethink what community is now, you know, especially now. 
you know, and then we're looking at all the ways in which we're not functioning well, you know, as far as just being able to help one another. But then there are many ways in which we are, you know. So it's very, uh, I've been thinking a lot about that lately, just what it is, what community actually is and what it can be. How do you feel that that is influencing your music? Well, right now, very specifically, I'm actually working on a, a piece that, uh, writing a piece, I got a, the Chamber of Music America New Jazz Works grant, and I have to finish that piece soon. And I've been doing a lot of writing. I'm not sure that I'm going to use everything for it, but one of the metaphors that I have in my mind have, has to do with trees, you know. I read this... Um, I read this article about how trees have this underground system and their roots go out and they actually nourish each other through their root system. And not only their own gene, genus, you know, but they also send out uh, support in terms of nutrition in their root system to other trees of other types, of other genus, genuses. I don't know if that's the right word, if I'm saying that right. But but um, that, I thought, was a very powerful metaphor for how what we need to do, you know, right now. I mean, in terms of just, like, how do we look at, how do we support one another um, in the ways that we can as human beings, you know, or even as, like, it made me think about also my women friends, like especially my women musician friends and just some of my closer friends. Art, a lot of them are creatives and artists and um, the ways in which are throughout the years we've been able to kind of have a network of support that works in a certain kind of way. It's not like talked about or organized so much as in something like M3 is, you know, but... Um, it's important, though, and it's been a, a definite huge part of my own survival, you know, as an artist, to have this networking of people that um, are, are, are supporting one another to, to hang in there and to keep, keep at it and to keep going and to, to celebrate each other, you know? So is your music right now about the trees, or is it just about the... I'm using that as a metaphor. In other words, I'm, I'm kind of visualizing this sense of what that is and exploring different aspects of, of that. I mean, it's within science that I forget the exact word for it. I, I'll need to look it up because I read this article and it did inspire me, mm -hmm. you know. Have you read The Secret Life of Trees? That has the... Yeah, no, the, I haven't. That's like a I lot haven't. of that info. It's really great. So. I've been looking at poetry, you know, some of poetry about nature and and trying to find other modalities of expression in terms mm -hmm. of just that whole image the image of that and um i was thinking about it too in relationship to this article that i posted today by heather cox richardson do either of you read her mm -hmm. post yeah mm -hmm. she had a great um she's this wonderful historian writer that I think she used to write for the New York Times or used to be a journalist but now she just does her own thing and what's so great about her is that she has a way of writing about our current day issues in in relationship to history and she does it so succinctly mm -hmm. 
you know, like today she talked about just the voter registration issue and where it goes back to and the whole history of it and how the, um, I mean, it was just really fascinating how, how she broke everything down and br brought all the history of the civil rights movement and uh, just how it all worked and how it had gotten better and then at one, and then how it had gotten so much worse and how the, today Biden, I think he passed a, a some legislation that really speaks to that specific issue and, and how that sort of uplifting a lot of the um, crap that was sort of the devolvement of all of that progress, you know, over the years. And so in, in their articles, it's just so succinct in how she actually expresses the whole path of the whole issue, you know, with suppression of voters rights and all of this. So I was thinking about that even in relationship to that, 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 you know, it takes all these people to consistently move towards progress. Progress isn't one thing that just you get there and it just stands still and then you've done it and it's over. It's something that takes, you know, uh, consistent effort, uh, as we, as we can see, you know, in terms of what's happening right now in, in, in these times. Um, I came up during the 60s. My parents were radicals. I marched in, you know, in Washington. I, I, I used to cook breakfast for the Black Panther program in my neighborhood. And, you know, I was very involved in politics just growing up because my parents were. And that was part of the way that I saw the world. And um, that was a very active, vibrant, crazy time, you know, and now we're in the midst of another revolution, you know, where things are also having to be, um, it's like the struggle continues, you know, but we're in another phase of it. And I think this phase, there is progress. It's not like just because certain things are the same that nothing has changed, although in one sense that's true. I do feel that part of what we're doing right now is because there has been progress. Do you know what I mean? And so it's another phase of moving towards this ideal, you know, which we're creating or trying to create. Some people are trying to destroy, you know. So anyway, I don't know quite how I got to this point in the conversation. It's okay. It's, it's great. It's where we are, you know, like in terms of like what's happening right now. And, and being my age, it's just really interesting to see it because it's a whole nother level of the struggle, you know. And God knows we really do have to be able to speak about race and racism in this culture in a way that uh, we've not done before, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. So I think that's starting to happen now. Well, great to hear all of your perspective and great that you feel like uh, the needle is moving a little bit or the pendulum, whatever the <laughs> image is, that, that there is progress, that we're, we're uh, prog and I guess hope that corresponds with that. Um, can, can I ask a sort of, I don't know if it's a mundane question, actually. I'll just ask it. Um, what is governing these days as you're writing, as you're finishing the CMA granted piece and whatever other um, juggling of ideas you're doing now, what is 
governing your musical choices? And I think it it's partly a broader question because you've had such a diversity of work that you've put out uh, in terms or put forth in terms of the musicians you've worked with, in terms of stylistic things, uh, in terms of the conceptual framework for what you're writing about in the instances where you're doing more, for lack of a better term, topical work. And uh, so here we are now. Uh, do you, are, are you thinking a lot about who you're writing for or what kind of stylistic or genre-based framework it will have? Or is it more that at this point you've amalgamated all of these sounds and experiences and you just go with the flow and uh, write what you hear and let it be what it is? Does the question yeah, make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense in the sense that um, there is a lot of reflection right now, I'm feeling pers personally, because of where I'm at at this stage of my life. Like, I'm, I'm 64, getting ready to turn 65 this year. And I've had a lot of various influences in terms of, like, my roots, where I come from musically. Um, mm -hmm. So my first love is, is really jazz. I mean, that's kind of what I do, but that's come to mean so many different things in regards to the work that I've done and um, the diff many different influences that I've been kind of le learning about and looking at. Part of what I'm doing, I feel, is going back to some of my roots, like I've been doing this personal thing on Bud Powell. And of course, now it seems like Bud Powell is like the, everybody's talking about Bud Powell. But I've been trying to go back to learn a lot of those tunes and his music and really looking at his music. Doing some personal investigating just on my own in terms of the things that I've really loved and what matters to me musically. Um, but also thinking about what I want this piece to be and try not to put too much pressure on myself about all those things because it's really hard if you start getting too uh, um, conscious, I would say, in that sense. I mean, you want to be, but you also want to be able to set yourself free. You know, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So um, I'd like the piece to really touch on the, some of the things that I feel like I've that had the most meaning to me. So that's involved some investigating in terms of like revisiting, I think certain things. Um, because my path has covered so many different ways of being within the music, you know, from a really through composed work, like writing for orchestra to playing more open and ended and free to playing much more uh, straight ahead, traditional jazz in a way, you know what I mean? So, it's been mm -hmm. a lot of different things. Um, and I think I'd like, I do, I do think I've thought enough about it where I'd like that to be evident in the piece I write. And I'm also looking to who I'm writing for, because this piece is going to be mostly for trio, but I'm inviting guests from my band um, Alchemy Sound Project. 
um, to be part of the, the work. So it's not going to really center on Alchemy Sound Project as a group as so much as the trio and then bringing in certain elements of, of that group within the trio setting. So I'm really thinking a lot about trio music, you know, too, like what that is and, and then the ways in which I can use my, the players to sort of enhance uh, what it is to play within a trio context, you know. That might sound a little odd because if you invite someone else, then all of a sudden it becomes a quartet or it becomes a quintet or it becomes a sextet or whatever. But I'm kind of viewing it as the trio being the structure of the of all the music. So that makes yeah. sense. Um, so there's always so many different considerations, you know, in terms of all those things. I'm I'm really trying to stay um, in a learning mode. So looking at other systems and uh trying to listen to stuff that i haven't listened to before and there's always like that universe of of sound you know of, of that you can discover so that's the other thing i'm trying to do is just like open myself up to to listening and just taking some time out to not even think about the piece so much as to just try to be in a space of uh, openness and growing, you know, and along the way too, sometimes I feel stuck, you know, sometimes I feel, oh, where's this going? Or what am I actually doing? Or is this any good? Or, you know, all this stuff that always comes around with like, you know, writing anything new, going through all the angst of all of that, you know, that happens all the time. So it doesn't really go away. You just kind of have to just like move through it, you know? It's always good to hear Thank you. that other people have that, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And I'm just saying it's encouraging because, you know, I, I've talked to other people and I'm always encouraged when I hear somebody, you know, especially somebody as successful as you say that, you know, it's still a process and that I'm having to engage with that process consistently. That's funny because I, you know, when you say as successful as me, I, I don't know that I see myself as being really successful, you know. But I guess in the sense of just sort of, because I feel like my career has been so like uh, peripheral. There's been a lot of peripheralness. Mm -hmm. Like I've, I don't ever feel like I've ever really been in it, and I've always sort of been sort of hovering around it and kind of there, but not there. I mean, that's the way it's felt to me, you know. I never like, you know. I never had a real active road life, for instance. You know, it's always been kind of quasi-active. <laughs> and this is probably true for many people. I don't think I'm the only one. Uh, you know, it's just like what it is to have a career in jazz. I mean, I, or as a musician, it's just so, it, it, it's just so all over the place. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Well, success is a funny and word, then you though. You know, like. It is a funny I word. Don't, I don't typically like that word, and I don't know how why it came out of my mouth in that instance I wasn't thinking I guess but uh, I was actually just texting my sister this morning about that word and saying how I I think that it's not a great word but um and then I went and used it it's funny but no that's <laughs> fine but I uh maybe yeah, accomplished because like it's so vague you know like what does that mean is it like I'm not on the road 300 days a year and like that's what success is I mean, we all make what our success is in our mind. And, and so whatever you want to say, I think. That's a good question, though. I think it's a good question to say, what does that really mean? What does success really mean? And to really contemplate yeah. that, you know, because I think. And then when you say, um, 
when you say accomplished, that does resonate mm-hmm. more to me because then I can, I, it's much more specific because then I can actually look at what my accomplishments have been, you know what I mean? <laughs> or what I, how I view that, you know. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. I tend not to dwell too much on all that. Like I'd much rather just be with the, with the instrument and just kind of zone out in that area. Then sometimes it's like, whoa, like, you know, you really got to like get out there or like, what do you actually really want to do? I mean, like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? That kind of a thing. It's like being it's usually doing I'm, like you are being the artist though. And like that, that to me is, is super inspiring. And, and I, I really, I care very little about the, this is just me personally. I, I care very little about people's even accomplishments you know, like the artistic process and what you're doing right. is so much more attractive in terms of, you know, that. Yeah. Stuff. The creativity part. I mean, I think... Go ahead, sorry. <laughs> I think a lot of us don't tend to see ourselves the way other people see us. Mm. You know, like I was on the phone with um, Jaleel Shaw the other day, and he called me. We stay in touch, you know, every now and then. I mean, not every now and then, but we, but we stay in touch, and... I forget why he said he wanted to talk to me, but then afterwards, he, it was just like he let me know it was really that he did need to talk to someone. Like he and he wanted to, he really just wanted to talk to me. It was and and a part of it was just trying to address where he's at at this moment in time, and just also with COVID happening and just what's been going on, like where how he's just feeling and and. Um, I think during the conversation, I ended up playing him because we were talking about all the loss that we've had in the jazz community too. Just how many people, mm-hmm. you know, we've lost—not all to COVID, mm-hmm. but there have been a lot of deaths in general. But within the music community, it's been very—it's like it's just—I, for myself, I just feel breathless by it. I can't even post because at the rate at which people are dying, and you know what I mean, it just feels like at a, at a certain point, I just like was like. I couldn't just, I couldn't do it anymore. Like, I think it happened when Stanley Cowell died. But anyway, let me stick on point here. In the conversation, I ended up playing a piece for him that I just wrote um, for Stanley Cowell, who died not that long ago, the pianist Stanley Cowell and composer, who I happened to study with when I was much younger. He was a teacher. And um, that that passing really hit me hard because I never just, never thought of him as someone that would, not be around. I mean, you know, I don't, that's like silly to say that, but you know what I mean? He just was one of those people. He just seemed yeah. very youthful and healthy. And I, I always thought I would see him again. And something kept me from posting on Facebook about, it. I just, I just felt like, you know, this just doesn't feel right. I, you know, there's a whole thing. And I, and I, it had made me question the whole thing about Facebook and social media and everything. So I said, I think I'd rather just write him a piece of music. Mm. So I, and, I, and I played it for Julio. And he, at the end of the conversation, he just said to me, you know, I, you don't know how much this means to me, like just to be able to talk to you. And then I realized, too, that they, you know, he, he looks up to me to a certain extent. I mean, just in terms of being where I am within being an elder, quote, unquote. <laughs> He's not an elder too to another whole generation of people, but for to 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 but I'm an elder to him, you know, and um, 
and I'm also a huge fan. I, I'm a, I support his music. I am a fan. Of, and I don't think he sees himself the way other people see him. You know, he's just out here struggling to try to figure it out, too, just like we are, you know. And um, and that is part of the path. Part of the path is just like questioning and wondering and 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 having angst about like what to do next or how what you know what I mean we all we all get to those places and it's it's always changing and it's always there even as you move through life you know one of the most beautiful things if if this is not uh I don't think this is a false silver lining, but just what you were describing about Jaleel. I mean, when I when I met you, Sumi, it was through the lens of how much my primary teacher at the time, Kenny Barron, admired your work and respected you, trusted you to sub for him when he was on the road. And so that that you could be viewed by anyone as anything less than, I'll just throw the word successful in here because <laughs> it's on the table, never occurred to me and uh and it is honestly one of the great joys of of being a jazz musician that um this sort of intergenerational appreciation and kind of um fellowship where there are there are people who are mentors or heroes of mine like you who's who respect my work and there are students of mine who I'm nourished by their work. It's just this sort of continuum of, of people working on trying to access this profound substance and, uh, you know, the, all, all those hierarchies of who's successful and, uh, and whatnot, um, doesn't, it all doesn't matter as much when we can, share in that fellowship and that uh, mutual inspiration. That's, I'm, I'm, it's lovely to hear that story about uh, your conversation with Jaleel through that. Well, lens. that's so well put, Noah. I love the way you just said that, you know, and it is about that. It's about that circle, you know, that, that, and that, that's a content there's, that's going to continue, you know, from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. And there's always change too, that everything changes and, and being able to adapt to change mm-hmm. and, you know, just what that is as, as, as the music moves forward, you know, because it will do that. That's what it does. And it's always going to be different and not what you necessarily expect, you know. Um, so, and that brings me back to tree roots, you know, kind of like that feeling of the, the, that the, what we can do, the fabric we can make together, you know, and how important it is to have that, that have there be the, the continuity, you know, um, but I thought you said that really beautifully. Thanks. I, I suppose that uh, is a good place to wrap up. I, I, I could easily spend another hour geeking out and asking you um, more technical questions about maybe she'll have to come back but, another uh, time. <laughs> um, maybe maybe we'll, we'll we'll go the go the nerd out route. Uh, uh, on a subsequent occasion, mostly I'm just looking forward to I'm looking forward to uh, two things. Well, three, I guess, if we include being able to actually gather in person uh, again. Um, but I'm looking forward to hearing the music you're working on, and I'm hopefully uh, looking forward to 
those uh, who are maybe less familiar with your work um, going out and discovering some of it uh, having listened to this conversation. Well, that's great. Well, thanks, Noah, for having me here. And I, I do have to say that, you know, you've always been one of those people. Like, I remember back in those days being at Rutgers and just having you be, like, just feeling the feeling of being grateful for having someone like you that I could interact with because you would always, like, light up your environment just by being who you are. You know, you're curious and 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 always ask great questions. And, you know, I, I, I could learn, you know, there's this aspect of learning from each other, you know, so I could learn from you. But I was always so relieved when you were around because, you know, teachers, as you well know, because you're a teacher now yourself, you know, there's always those few students that kind of exude this kind of passion for like learning and for the music and this love and and you know you're doing that now for the students that you have but you also did it for me as as being a student and my being a quote unquote teacher you know what i mean like i looked forward to the time spent with you and that's still true thank you, thank you. i appreciate that very much i look forward to the three of us having a uh having a, a potluck or a barbecue or something, uh, listening, getting to sit back and bask, listening to the two of you uh, uh, play some forehands. <laughs> All right, um, Jen. Yeah, so nice to meet it you. It's so nice yeah. to meet you. I, I'm looking forward to hearing your well, music. I really enjoyed hearing your music, so I'm, I'm a big fan already. So lovely to meet you. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yes, yeah, lovely to meet you as well. Thanks. Thanks.